on our new intro. Is it, Jamie? <laughs> we going? We're going. Right, new this season? is literally the first I've heard the new intro. I know. So I was waiting. Was there a voice? Is there anything happening? No, we are here. Great start. Great start to the new season already here Sorry, on Canucks. Is that Stock. the pan flute? Now, now you're into it. <laughs> now you're into it. Uh, it is, by the way, it is Canucks talk. We are back. This is like, we are so is, back. This is so positive. This is like, well, I was going to say we needed some levity. This is the moment of positivity. There's no moment of positivity that we can do. Jamie, that trumps this. I like it. Oh man. It's good to be back. Uh, and I got to say, it is very good to be back. It is kind of funny. We went away from the, uh, the faux breaking news intro <laughs> music. <laughs> Honestly, it, on a breaking news day. I know that's true. On a breaking news day. Uh, okay, hold on, hold on. Before we get to that, it ended up sounding like the Wayne's World dream sequence, though. By the time we were done, <laughs> it was indecipherable. Before we get to all that, Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Of course, I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host, as always, Canucks Insider, Thomas Drance, who you can also read at The Athletic. Uh, I've been waiting two months, Drancer. What's up? What's up, buddy? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> well, other than the pan flutes and <laughs> that's what's up and the Canucks naming the 15th captain in yes. franchise history Quinn Hughes surprise announcement this morning came through at around 8 30 and it's a very understated announcement relative mm -hmm. to the way that this franchise has done business over the past decade to 15 years right the last few captains that have been named in Vancouver Canucks history have been named amidst a flourish of pomp and circumstance right we're talking about Orland Kurtenbach, the club's original captain, handing off a jersey at center ice ahead of the home opener. Mm -hmm. The secret closely guarded right up until it's done. Embargoed interviews beforehand. I mean, really, there has been, you know, I, I suppose Luongo was the last Canucks captain who was named in relatively straightforward fashion, right? I mean, Luongo was announced as captain and... He did a presser, and that was that. But Henrik Sedin was announced in a, in a big ceremony that accompanied the, was it the 50th anniversary? 40th, I believe. 40th anniversary. Yes. And then Bo Horvat was announced as captain in a ceremony, so that was for the 50th. So I guess this is a non-anniversary one, yes. but it still is in stark contrast. The last two times we've had a change of captaincy, it, it happened with a flourish, and this kind of happened with a press release and a, and a presser 90 minutes later. It was understated and businesslike. I don't think that's a coincidence, right? I, I think there's a, I mean, the Canucks opened at home this year. and they There was an opportunity to do it. And they addressed it at the press conference, right? The fact, on a couple of occasions, mm -hmm. Patrick Alvin said, and he had what I thought was a pre, I think there's some other reasons that are worth getting into as well. But what he said, which I think is very accurate and very fair, was we wanted, we made a point of doing it well before training camp because we are trying to basically turn the page and start something new here. And we didn't want this question lingering over. We didn't want to, you know, once we made the decision, why not get it out there? Instead of, as you said, go back, going back to the Bo Horvat situation where it was kind of this open secret, but no one could talk about it until it actually officially happened a couple of games into the season. Why not just do, <laughs> get rid of that? 
right? We're not going to have this weird, well, we know it's Hughes, but it's not really Hughes dynamic at training camp, right? We all know what's going on. It's official. Get it out there. And I think it's part of, you know, you use the word understated. Wouldn't it be great if we were using that word a lot to describe oh. the Canucks this year? You know what I mean? So step, start on the right foot, how you want to be, which is understated and businesslike. Well, and I would say we've actually had a couple of months of understated activity from this organization, right? I mean, everything, it's almost like the Oliver Ekman Larson buyout, right? Which was, by the way, not at all understated. That's no, the largest no. ordinary course buyout in uh, the history of the NHL's cap era. But like since then... It's been a pretty understated flurry of moves from Canucks management. I mean, you go into the draft and rather than like even going into the draft and not chasing upside and it's like you emerge with four defensemen Mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, well, you know, this organization did have a gap to address there and they threw an awful lot of volume and draft capital, including a high value top 10 pick uh, at the problem. Or was it 11th? 11th. pick 11th? 11th. Okay. Um, And then you go into free agency and it's like, you know, Susie, Ian Cole, and Teddy Bluger, no stars among them, right? Like, none of those names are going on a marquee ever. But they should make the club better at killing penalties and uh-huh. certainly bigger on the back end. And then Pius Suter in uh, in free agency, like later in August, right? And it's like an understated, good value signing for a relatively anonymous but but potential, uh, potential like, high-leverage uh, depth player. It's been sort of an understated run from an organization that, as you say, could use an awful lot more of that. And I do wonder if that plays in. Now, there's a lot of reasons why I think Quinn Hughes is the right fit for this role at this time. The timing, not just in terms of announced, you know, here or training camp or the season opener, is interesting. And this is something Talkett talked about. We can talk about. But at this time, I think Quinn Hughes pretty clearly the right fit for the job. And understated a very fair way to think to describe i think how quinn hughes communicates publicly and that's fine yeah right and that came across in a big way when he spoke to the media you know like very calm collected i thought he had some interesting things to say about his leadership style but yeah this is an understated captain right now for a team that is hoping to be a lot more understated this year the (laughs) so the thing you do when you prep a player sometimes for for a media availability like that right is bring it back to this like you get a question you don't want to answer bring it back to this right and it's called message discipline at least by like the political spinmeisters quinn hughes extraordinary message discipline right it was like no matter what question was asked an answer for it was to like answer it like yes or no and then bring it back to but you know it's just a real honor and I want to thank ownership and management and you know I can't wait to lean on my teammates Mm -hmm. and the twins and 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 you know he delivered that answer multiple times and and that's is not criticism that's my friends my parents yeah that's smart that's smart that's how you should go about it and I think the best when you are when you are in a situation like that when you're like okay bring it back to this it helps if the thing you're bringing it back to is sincere and heartfelt and makes sense mm. right and you know the the listening to Quinn Hughes talk and as you say touching on those themes over and over again the word that jumped out to me and I think it's a really positive one but it's not one we all often associate with NHL captains was humility that's the word I got right because one you know he talked a lot about leaning on his support group leaning on the coaches leaning on the other leadership members of the team and you know the other thing he talked about was 
look, I'm I'm rec- I recognize that uh, as much as I think I'm capable of doing the job right now, I'm going to learn as well. I'm going to grow into this role. I'll probably have a much different perspective on it next year than I do right now. And I think that's very admirable to just be upfront about. Yeah, I'm I'm going to grow. I'm going to do things differently in a couple of years than I would now. And again, I think that speaks to how well suited Quinn Hughes is to do the job in this market that he has the maturity and the wherewithal to kind of recognize that and be upfront about it and still be comfortable with embracing everything that being a captain entails. Well, and, and this sort of comes back to, to the understated stuff, right? Uh, you know, the, the response that Quinn Hughes was giving when he said that line, the I'll have a be- better understanding of sort of what the job entails a year from now than I do today um, was in response to sort of stick handling all the off-ice extracurricular controversies that often the captain in Vancouver is called on to address. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that may cause some of our listeners to roll their eyes, but I just want to, like, do a quick overview of some of the most memorable ones in the last four years that Bo Horvat navigated. Number one, Don Cherry's commentary on Hockey Night in Canada about immigrants. Mm -hmm. Number two... Uh, the pause during the pandemic, it was Bo Horvat up on the dais to discuss, um, you know, the the killing in Wisconsin that mm-hmm. caused the NHL to suspend the bubble. Obviously, there was a variety of pandemic-related availabilities that Bo Horvat gave. Then Bo Horvat was talking about residential schooling and his ed- education in terms of learning about the history in Canada of, of residential schools. Then there was the Pride Night controversies. I mean... That's that's over a three-year span. Like, this comes up a lot more than you think for the captain of an NHL team in Vancouver. And it's not an easy thing to address honestly and with humility, uh-huh. right, in, in a way that also reflects the values of this community. Like, that is tough. And... I only bring this up to talk about the pressure that comes with being a 23-year-old captain in a market like Vancouver because you can't underrate it. You know, like there is a lot of pressure that's now being placed on Quinn Hughes, especially given the stakes of the season, which I'm sure we'll get into in later segments today. Bookmark that. Um, And so to come back to the understated thing, right? You do it today. Quinn Hughes is now the captain of this team. He now sort of goes into a training camp environment where there's not going to be a lot of television cameras. CTV will be like, there'll there'll be some outlets that come out here and there. Um, But for the most part, it's not going to be an overwhelming amount of media the way it is going to be when the Canucks play their home opener or when they debut on the road in Edmonton on Hockey Night in Canada. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a totally different level of attention. Now you've got, got a month and change to sort of get your captain's sea legs underneath you to settle into the role, to focus on preparing for the season, and to take a leadership role and some accountability for the fact that, you know, this team needs to start well, and that's kind of on you now specifically. Um, That's a big ask, but doing it in that way, as opposed to, like, right before your very first game wearing the captain's C uh, on that Wednesday that the Canucks open against the Edmonton Oilers and then having to go out and be like McDavid's hard check with a C on your jersey and then having to do the walk-off interview in the first intermission and then having to do the walk-off interview for radio in the second intermission and then afterwards having to face a scrum of media that's like, hey, that didn't go well. What are you going to do now as captain to fix it? Yeah, I mean, it's a way more favorable spot. And, And look, we talk about this a lot. Putting players in a spot to succeed is something that I don't think this organization has done well 
over the past four or five years, at least not consistently. Look no further than Vasily Podkolzin, mm. right? Look no no further than Niels Hoaglander. Honestly, look no further than um, Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson and the way they were occasionally thrown into the deep end. Um, you know, uh, luckily they could swim. They're remarkable players. This is an example to me of putting a young player in a position to succeed. I like that. I'm buying that going understated on the announcement here was was actually the right call. The other thing that comes up to me in terms of doing it now, getting it out of the way, is, you know, you talked about the ceremonies for Bo Horvat, for Henrik Sedin. As you mentioned, both of those were anniversary years where the team was kind of naturally looking back and celebrating its history. And I even think of, you know, obviously when Henrik Sedin uh, was named captain, they were still in the middle of... Uh, they hadn't crested yet, but they were in, mi- in the middle of a very competitive stretch in the team's history. When Bo Horvat was named captain, he was inheriting it, not directly because there had been a gap year, but he was inheriting it from Henrik Sedin, who was still representative of the mm. highest highs yeah, in the point. team's franchise history. I think doing it now where, you know, it's one thing to have a big ceremony when you're passing the torch of excellence from Henrik Sedin to Bo Horvat. I think it's another to do it when you're coming off a really difficult stretch in the franchise's history. Maybe the most difficult stretch when you look back, honestly. So I think that's smart is we're not going to act like we've been recently winning president's trophies and a perennial playoff team because we're not. We're going to act like with a little bit of humility, right? And say, look, we're getting it out of the way. We're going to hold a press conference and then we're going to get back down to business. I think that makes sense in this. It'd be, I think it's a lot easier to do if you're a perennially very successful team. So, so I'm with you. The only thing I note is, you know, tradition for me especially when you're a storied franchise with generational support, the way the Vancouver Canucks are in, in this, you know, madcap hockey, hockey marketplace is a balancing act, mm-hmm. right? Like the history of this franchise, the traditions of this franchise are Im- immensely valuable in terms of how they connect with the community, how they connect with previous iterations of the team, um, you know, past success on and on. But, Adhering too closely to tradition is a double-edged sword, to put it mildly. I mean, look no further than, you know, uh, how the Oilers spent two decades bungling player personnel moves because they had to employ everyone who played for them in the (laughs) 80s, right? Look no further than every Montreal Canadiens opening ceremony that lasts 90 minutes before puck drop. Even when they're coming off like a bottom five finish and destined for another one. That's what I mean. It seems like it's like we know you're not the 77 Habs, guys. (laughs) Like, why are you pretending you are? It's like, and now interim captain Jeff Petrie will light the torch. (laughs) And it's like, guys, all right, come on. This didn't need to be 50 minutes. Yeah. Anyway, it's a balance, right? And in this case, I think dispensing with how they've done it in in anniversary seasons of of the last 15 years made an abundant amount of sense with where the team's at. But. You know, one thing I would say is I, I think there have been other areas where they haven't necessarily struck the balance right. Um, and, and that sort of makes it a fair thing to bring up, in my view. Like, just to bring up an example, you know, it's been eight and a half months since we've heard from Jim Rutherford now, right? Mm-hmm. We, we didn't hear from him all off season. Um, obviously, he said at Rick Tockett's introductory press conference that he wouldn't talk anymore. But, I mean, the tradition of this marketplace, and this is the marketplace that, like, Pat Quinn and Brian Burke and Mike Gillis and say what you want about him, but Jim Benning were regularly available defending their decisions, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, that that would be an example for me of, of a place where, hey, you know, the tradition of this hockey market, which is that the team is pretty accessible or at least talks on, on at least the top guy talks, you know, on some key tentpole moments, um, you know, that that's one where I think they've got the balance off and probably need to get 
closer to sort of how this organization is traditionally operated going forward. Armin in Surrey texts in, why are we assuming there won't be a ceremony on opening night? There'll be some sort of recognition, even if it's as simple as, you know, he gets the, the hammer spot well, introduction, he will. He right? Will. Which he the will. captain always gets the hammer spot introduction. I, by the way, there could be a ceremony and that would be totally appropriate, yeah. but it's different than a ceremony that's also an unveiling. Exactly. Yes. Right. That's, that's also the announcement. Yeah. It's, it's way different. And I'll tell you this right now, I will be super impressed if all he gets is the usual captain's hammer spot yeah. and they just move on. And they might, I think that there, there be, might be a TV timeout. Here's, here's your new captain, well, you know, something like you that. You should do that. Yeah. But I think if you did the hammer spot and the and the uh, the one one TV timeout uh, standing ovation, I think that would be mm -hmm. a perfectly understated way to do it, consistent with the club's goals. I you know honestly, I actually like that part of it. I hope we're talking more frequently about some of the sort of understated yep. moves that this franchise has made. I wanna I wanna bring up um, two things. I wanna buy. One thing that was said during the press conference, okay. and I want to sell. All right, all right. On one other thing that was said during the press conference, where where should I start? You want well, me to buy or sell first? Uh, let's go buy. Do you have any buy or sells? I do. Okay. Um, but let's start with yours. Yeah. <laughs> you want me to buy? I first. want you to buy first. Um, so I'm buying the Rick Tockett commentary on Quinn Hughes mixes with everybody. Right. On all right. The idea, and and look, this is. We, we're, we've reached a point where multiple head coaches have sort of made allusions to the idea that, like, we play him with him because they hang out, right? Like, there have been direct allusions from multiple Canucks coaches dating back two years, which is three coaches, to the idea that, hey, this might be a little bit of a cliquey room, right? There, there, there are guys who hang out. There are guys who do not hang out. I want to play the guys who do hang out together, um, which, you know, I don't think that's ideal, I don't think that's ideal in a, in a you know twenty three man environment where you want pieces to be as interchangeable as possible. So for Tockett to come out and say he mixes with everybody, you know, part of the reason that I wanted him to be captain was to sort of break down those barriers, right? Was to was to connect the group. I'm buying that, and I'm buying that as the perfect logic for making him captain. So he mixes with everyone. So basically, what I took that to mean is. He's on good terms with basically everyone in the room. There's no one in the room that he can't credibly talk to or deliver a thorny message to. Everyone in the room enjoys getting outlet passes from Quinn News. <laughs> they all want to stay on his good side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Shocker. Um, okay, so I, was, uh, I wanted to bring this. Uh, I'll buy something here. I wanted to bring this text up anyways and it ties into what i was going to say is it the Unsigned. one about how i found a way to include the word high leverage for be a suitor no but incredible <laughs> uh by the way i think it's puce puce yes okay now there this was thank a you topic of discussion on the day but he signed on the halford and bruff show when i was doing it with bruff but that's what i'm rolling with i'll text batch. Well, i was gonna say we'll have to talk to batch uh this text comes in was this too rushed and i don't think he means i don't think the texture means the announcement before the season but there was this idea of well okay if they name a captain for this year it's going to be quinn hughes but will they name a captain or will they wait a year and see where things go and rick talkett was asked about that at the press conference. And I think his answer makes a lot of sense, which was basically we're comfortable with the leadership group we have. And we just felt it was time. And the, the phrase he used was time to really get this leadership group going. And I know you and I going back to last year and probably even earlier than that ta have talked a lot about the internal push to empower 
this younger generation. And you can throw JT Miller in there as well, but especially PD and Hughes and Demko based on what we heard today as leaders. I don't think you can talk that talk about, Hey, we're turning the team over to them. We want them to step up and be leaders. And then, withhold the captaincy from the one who's most suited to be the captain at this moment, right? Mm. Because then you're basically, you're sending a mixed message. You're saying, hey, it's your turn, guys. You're ready to do it, but uh, we're not quite sure about making you the captain. So I almost think they had to do it at this point. If you're going to talk a big game about empowering these players, you got to give them the tools to do it. You got to give them the support to do that. And that means naming captain. And that means Quinn Hughes. Fair. I I like that one. I, I, I want to sell on one other point though. All right. It was said frequently, you know, JT Miller, Thatcher Demko, and uh, Elias Pettersson were in attendance for the uh, announcement, which was good optics, smart stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, a big deal was made about how, like, any of these four guys could have been captain, but we picked Quinn Hughes. And I am selling on that. Like, first of all, Thatcher Demko. Yes. <laughs> We've been down this road. We've been down this road with, like, an extremely media-friendly first ballot Hall of Famer, and it didn't work then, Thatcher Demko could not be captain of this team. We could not have another goalie captain in this market. Come on. Would you say that Luongo was extremely media-friendly when he was named captain in Vancouver? No, but but, but relative to Thatcher Demko, he he was. Yeah, that was the name, because the other ones... Look, it was very clear it was going to be Quinn Hughes if they named a captain. Now... But, But I'm just saying, they didn't, like... Thatcher Demko's a goalie. You're yes. not naming a good goalie as captain. Elias Pettersson doesn't want to talk extension until after this season, and his deal expires after this season, making him an RFA. You're not going to name a guy captain when his long-term future isn't secured. And, you know, I don't think you're going to name, make, name JT Miller captain either because I don't think that was a serious consideration, which speaks volumes. So I don't know that they did have four options and, and any of them could have worn the C. I think... If you were going to name a captain this year and you were going to name a captain from that leadership group, there was one right answer. I The way I read that comment, and look, again, it was going to be Quinn Hughes, so I understand what you're saying, but the way I read that comment was we have three other guys who are kind of leadership caliber players, or sorry, captain caliber leaders, captain caliber players, and the Demko one is, especially with the history of Luongo in this market, is kind of funny, because I was like, well, come on, no, you are not going to name Thatcher Demko. We're we're not doing that again. If that was brought up in meetings, it would have been brought up for exactly five seconds and then discarded as an idea that's not happening. But I understand you want to include him in this leadership group. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And that's fair. And I think that, more than anything, is what I took from it is, yes, we're naming Quinn Hughes, but... We don't want to undersell the role that these other players are going to have. Patterson's still a leader for us. Miller's still a leader. And Demko's going to be a leader <laughs> and, for us as well. But we're not naming alternate captains. But look, there's three but gentlemen there's over there. there's three dudes right there. Who two, are, two of whom yeah. will wear letters. And the third of whom will be in our leadership group. Yes, it's like, will okay. be a goalie. Lot building suspense there, guys. <laughs> not not exactly Hitchcock up in here. The one thing I would sell from uh, Quinn Hughes, and I don't not because it was a bad answer or he should have said something differently, but you know, asked directly about, hey, this market is is hungry for a perennial playoff team, and just said, yeah, we're not worried, not worried about that. Just worried about the first game. Just worried about training camp and getting ready and focusing on game one. It's like, ah. I love that. I, I think it's the right answer. I'm I, not sure it's true I from, also, from a team perspective. It has to be true. It has to be true. You know, like, you cannot you cannot be thinking about your yak when the ball's still coming to you. Like, you have to make the catch first. You know, you, you, have, to, you have to build step by step. 
I actually, I, I agree with you. I'm sure there is extraneous pressure that the players mm-hmm. are feeling, but I also think it is Quinn Hughes's job to make sure everyone's like, hey, look, step one is we have a good training camp yep. and, you know, work hard, but don't get hurt. Right. And we have to like get some things really down and locked in and dial up our intensity level as preseason goes along. And then we have to give the Oilers our best shot twice right off the bat. So I think that's part of I like I agree with you. I don't believe it fully, but I believe it's not a bad answer. I believe that Quinn Hughes believes that that's part of what he has to do. That's where they're trying to get to. Yeah, Yeah. that I believe Uh, it is Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. Quinn Hughes, the new captain of the Canucks. We will talk uh, to our colleague Sportsnet triple threat Ian McIntyre coming up after the break. Uh, Keep it right here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. Canucks Talk. First show back here in September. It is Jamie Dodd and Canucks insider Thomas Strance. Live from the Kintech Studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Quinn Hughes, officially the 15th captain in Vancouver Canucks franchise history. Uh, Canucks Talk is brought to you by Avenue Machinery, as is our next guest, the triple threat from Sportsnet.ca, Ian McIntyre. Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. And we are now very pleased to be joined by Ian McIntyre. iMac, thanks for doing this. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Jamie? Uh, I'm doing very well. I'm uh, I'm excited to be back on the air uh, in our regular time slot, and uh, it was very nice of the Canucks to give us a little bit of news to digest and talk about today. Uh, what are your just big picture thoughts on on Quinn Hughes being announced as captain today? Uh, just hang on. <laughs> Sorry, Jamie. That's all right. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, what are my thoughts of Quinn Hughes as captain? There's a lot going on in my house right now. You'll probably get that. <laughs> totally fair. Over the course of the call. Uh, I, I think he's a really suitable choice. And I think he's going to grow in to being uh, a, a really good captain for this team. I think what he brings, you know, there's a lot of attributes, obviously. I think one of the most important he brings is, is kind of, um, an emotional stability. Mm. He's first of all, you, you got to be in this day and age. You got to be a prominent player, and he's one of the best in the league at what he does. You've got to be, you know, popular with your teammates. It helps that he's committed long term to the organization, and I think, uh, especially with this organization you have to have a calmness uh, to, to what you bring to the rink uh, every day. And I think he has that. He's very thoughtful. He's very smart. He's still only 23 years old, turns 24 next month. So he's, he's got a lot of growth still to do as a person. But the transformation that I've seen in him, having the benefit of covering this team year after year, the transformation that I see in him as a person, his growth in that regard, is every bit as impressive as his development 
as a player. And I think he's going to be a very good captain for this team. Yeah, Ian, it seemed like the last 18 months in particular, in terms of what we can see publicly, the way that he speaks to us, the way he's capable of stick handling the thorny issues, which you quite rightly brought up during the presser, even the commentary to the fans in arena, public speaking uh, at the end of last season, it, it seems like he's almost a totally different person today and over the last 18 months than he was when we first started covering him. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was... We, f- we forget how young sometimes mm-hmm. these guys are. And w- we also forget that, you know, more, more than being players, they're just people too. Mm-hmm. And that they all have insecurities and worries and grievances and self-doubt and hopes and dreams. Hopefully those are mixed in too. But <laughs> they are just very young people, and, and especially you know, the, the talented players, and we see more and more young players coming into the NHL, you know, at age 19, at age 20, in some cases uh, 18, but that's still fairly rare, but not as rare as it once was. These are still very much developing people. Like mm-hmm. if anyone who has kids and you think of your kids when they're 18 and 20 years old, uh, there's still a lot of, of growth there. But with Quinn, you know, he was... And when I say he was just a kid, that, that's in, in no ways a disparagement. But that's just the reality. Is a, a Hockey is all he had done. It's all he knew. He hadn't really lived um, any life as an adult before, uh, you know, he came to the Canucks. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just think there's been a lot of growth there. And, and uh, I saw it last year in not just how he conducted himself with us, but when you got glimpses you know, privately, when I say us publicly, like mm-hmm. media watching, but when you got chances, you know, to, to just talk on the road, you know, off the record, or you, you saw how at times he interacted with members of the public, members of the organization, the coach, uh, and you could see that the, the, this isn't just, I think he's still a quiet person by nature, but this isn't just a kid anymore. And, and I think he is ready for this. I think he'd be more ready if he were 26 instead of 23. Everyone would be. But I think, you know, he's a good choice. And it was clear, I think, going back to last season, when Rick Tockett came in and Bo Horvat was traded, the very first practice, uh, you know, Tockett, and, and I have to say it was a practice at about 9 o'clock on a Sunday night in Newark, New Jersey. So I wasn't <laughs> thrilled to be there. But the very first practice, Tockett said he's going to put A's on Quinn and Elis Pettersson. And he wanted to make sure there was no void in leadership, but he also wanted to move things forward and make it clear to those guys, as well as everyone else, that this is the new leadership of this team. These guys are going to take it in the, whatever direction the Canucks go, that these guys are going to be leading it. And I think that, you know, in that respect, I'm not surprised that they acted so quickly uh, in relative terms to, to make Hughes captain. Mac, with, with at least a dash of self-awareness, I'm going to throw a classic Vancouver sports talk radio thing at you. Ready? Okay. I'm glad there's at least a dash of self-awareness. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> by, by the dash, I mean I'm going to reference it before doing it. Um, All right. So what does this mean for Elias Pettersson? Yeah, I I think Ilyas is probably thrilled. 
because <laughs> uh, no, I, I think he is yeah. because he's he's still very much going to be a leader on this team, uh, assuming that he does sign a, another contract with the Canucks, which I think he will. He's still very much going to be a leader on this team, but he's not going to have uh, that responsibility that uh, arduous task on a lot of days. And let's be clear about it. Mm-hmm. This isn't a job that's for everyone, being a captain in Vancouver or Toronto or Montreal. Uh, he's not going to have that same burden that Quinn does. He's got the burden of leadership within the room. And, and that's probably the more, to these players, that's the more important responsibility than just wearing the C. But the C obviously entails so much more than just being a good guy in the dress room and leading by example on the ice. And in in that respect, I think that's why I said at the start, I think this is a really suitable choice because I just think disposition wise, personality wise, uh, and certainly at this point, Quinn is more adept at that. And we saw that last year. And again, that's not a slight against uh, Elias, but I don't think that Petey has been pining all summer to be the the captain of this team. You know, to be fair, neither has Quinn Hughes. But uh, I think that that Pedersen's probably very happy for his friend and teammate and understands, as does J.T. Miller, as does Thatcher Demko, that he's still a very uh, key part of the leadership group that's going to drive this team. We've seen, we've seen so many examples of organizations fail if they're just relying on one guy and whether that's on the ice whether that's you know a magic pill uh it it just takes so much more than that to to be a good organization and Pedersen and the other guys not named captain are still going to be an integral part of of driving this organization forward. I did think it was striking today at the press conference, obviously, Elias Pettersson, JT Miller, and Thatcher Demko in attendance. And, you know, first and foremost, this was about Quinn Hughes and celebrating his achievement, but those other three players came up a lot in answers from Hughes and answers from Alvin and Talkit. And obviously there's a real emphasis on the leadership group as a whole and not just uh, on Quinn Hughes as the captain. You know, it's been interesting as the team kind of transitioned from Chris Tanev and Jacob Markstrom and Alex Edler being here. And then over the last few seasons, so many things have gone wrong. And, you know, it's hard to say how much of that is about leadership or what's going on in the room or anything like that. But it does seem like there's a challenge for this new leadership group to to start building uh, the sort of culture that the team has talked about a lot. Is that kind of you know we we focus so much on making the playoffs and things like that but is that really the challenge for this team and this leadership group is to to finally kind of put the the previous years behind them and start building that culture well i think it's the challenge for the entire organization like literally from the top down through the organization is to as as rick talkett said change the narrative like everybody's tired of losing it's easy to say that so what are you doing to to change the narrative the players uh, carry the greatest uh, ability to impact that that narrative, so maybe they carry the heaviest burden as well. But yes, I, I think it's I think it's been the challenge of, for this group, not only starting now, but it is it is kind of a good launch point, you know, with Talkett's first camp as coach eminent, and finally there's 
there's some unity in the organization uh, between, especially between the management office and the coaching office. Uh, but I, I think the challenge for this group was laid out as far back as two years ago, maybe, maybe three years ago after the Edmonton bubble, you know, by the previous GM, uh, that it's not just about your individual achievement. It's it's about what what the team does, and certainly that point uh, was was made and has been emphasized. Uh, time and time again by Patrick Albeen since he became GM that, you know, the measure, the guys in Pittsburgh, they measure themselves on Stanley cups. They don't measure themselves how many goals they got. You know, what was Sidney Crosby's best season? I I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but I know he's, he's won a bunch of Stanley cups and won a lot of other things as well. But (laughs) you know, the, the, the point is it's, it's, you have to get beyond uh, individual achievement and the last regime was pleading for that this regime is pleading for that and now we're going to see if 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 they can actually do it i mean talk it last you know a couple weeks ago when i talked to him he said he really believes this group these this leadership group has that in them but now they have to go and prove it Ian, do you have any skepticism based on what we've seen over the past few years and uh, how this group has performed together? Do you have any skepticism about this core group's ability to, and whether or not it's like to sublimate individual goals for the benefit of the team, or whether it's simply that their individual skill sets, remarkable as they might be, don't form together in a way that translates to winning? Like, Are you confident that this group can get it done? Am I confident? Well, I, I believe they can, but I, I wouldn't bet my house because <laughs> I've just, you know, uh, I've see, we've, we've all seen the you chaos. You knew where I was taking this, huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've, we've all seen the chaos. We've seen basically false expectations. There was reason to be hopeful each of the last two seasons. A lot of reasons to be hopeful each of the last two, two seasons. And look look how they turned out mm-hmm. you know the 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 56 game pandemic season that was just a write off and and it was so bad on so many levels but this team was supposed to bounce back after that and and it didn't and then Travis Green was fired Bruce Boudreaux came in the team had a surge and okay now things are supposed to be turned around well we're we're kind of talking about the same thing now with Rick Tockett, and yet we still haven't seen it. And, you know, I I have to say, having covered this team for many years, uh, I don't fully understand the underachievement, other than the amount of chaos that has occurred, the dysfunction within the organization that had existed uh, before Bruce was fired as coach. That was tiring on everybody. Mm. Like players, by the time Rick Tockett replaced Bruce Boudreaux last year, players were just exhausted mentally from having lived through all this drama. It didn't help that they were they were chasing in the standings from the opening uh, road trip of the season either. But uh, you know they were just uh, exhausted from everything that had gone on. But the challenge now, okay, they've had the summer now. To, to rest, recover, get better, think about their goals, talk about their goals, 
it's time. Like it, it, it really is go time for this group. And I would say if there isn't improvement this season, then this regime has to look at, at the group and not just the fringes of the group. They have to, they have to ask that same question that you just asked me, Thomas, are these, these guys might are great players. Are they, are they the right players? Do they fit? Do they work together? Uh, that's what this season is going to answer. You know, you talked about the the kind of the chaos and the noise of past seasons. And when Drance and I were talking about the the decision to announce Hughes as the captain today, as opposed to at a ceremony at the home opener or something like that, as we've seen done in past instances, you know, the word we used was understated. And I would even say Quinn Hughes, in many ways, an understated captain, as much as I think he's very well suited for the role. Do you think that's a, a conscious decision on the team's part, right? That they are looking at and saying, you know what, we could use to be a, a little more understated on certain occasions, given how uh, overstated, let's say, so many things have been in, in past seasons. Yeah, I, I think it, it, it certainly uh, diminishes the drama or the pomp and circumstance, as Thomas put it in the press conference today. <laughs> but I, I think it's, uh, I, I don't know that the motive, to me, the motive isn't really that far reaching it, it's it's not the big picture motive it to me it's more about a new coach and re, and again remember that it took them all of one practice to to put a's on hughes and Pedersen after horvat was traded uh to to me this is more about a coach who's eager to get his leadership group identified and clarified but also, as an organization, everybody understands how vital it is to come out uh, and, and not have the kind of starts to the season they've had the last two years. I think taking away whatever sidetrack or distraction this story might have been, taking away whatever uh, influence or it, it may have had on Quinn, knowing that he's going to be captain, but not being able to say anything and dealing with the questions about it all through the preseason, I, I think that that what, however big or little, it it certainly doesn't hurt their chances to start better uh, doing it this way. And and I also think that talk it really does understand that the starts from the last two years followed pretty awful training camps and preseasons, and and there were. There were reasons for that, player absences, contract issues, injury issues, the dysfunction between Boudreaux and management. There were lots of reasons for it. But they can't have a training camp and preseason like that. So whatever many distractions or side stories, issues, they can deal with ahead of time so that on day one in Victoria, players have a clear, straight runway to the start of the regular season and understand what's expected of them. I think all of that uh, is kind of part of the goal here, part of the strategy. So I wasn't, I wasn't surprised. I'm just glad they didn't do it at four o'clock on a Friday afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember actually Mac after the very first preseason game and we were waiting for availabilities and I came over to you and I was like, Oh no, man, this is going to be a mess again. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't remember that, but I do remember that it became pretty clear when the team went o five and two at the start. Oh my goodness! And people were discarding their jerseys. They were disavowing the Canucks on their home opener, 
I knew then that, that things were a little <laughs> things were a little amiss, and and I don't think I don't think we're ever going to have a night yeah. like that. And again. Then, no. And then Jim Rutherford calmed the waters on Hockey Night in Canada. <laughs> yes. yes, I forgot about that part. That went on after hours as well to to talk about to do, talk about things. No, I, it, it's just. Look, we, we we've all lived, we've all survived this, right? In the days when, people, when, when in the days when people put bumper stickers on their cars, we'd all have a bumper sticker that we survived the Canucks from whatever twenty one to twenty three or twenty to twenty three, uh, and and they just have to they have to move forward and they have to do better at the start. And I I don't think it's going to be, you know, that complicated on getting a read on this team and it's. Uh, obviously, wins are great, and I've been talk- We've all been talking about the old five and two since it occurred, but they they just they have to be better. They have to be better at the start. Some more wins that would really be nice, but just you know, systems wise, cohesiveness, uh, dependability, reliability, knowing knowing what this team stands for under Talkit, all those things are have got to be evident right away, and they they kind of making it hard on themselves again with the schedule. And I know that the NHL schedule to, to a large extent repeats every year. You know, mm-hmm. you tend to play the same teams around the same time and you have your big trips where the big trips are, but you know, it's tough again this year, starting at home against Edmonton and McDavid. And then you go on the road for five games. You have to find a way to come back from those first six games and regardless of what your record is, and it better not be 0-4-2, but regardless of what it is, you have to feel, if you're the Canucks, like you've got your identity, you're playing, you understand and are playing to your strengths, and you're ready to go. Because last year, I think it was the second game of the season, Luke Shen was talking about the problems of this team defending and not understanding what it takes to win. Uh, I think it's going to be clear in those first six games, how ready they are for this season. Mac, before we let you go, I've put together a list of tiers. We always do these, so I, I needed to do my welcome back show. I've put together a list of tiers. I've, it sounds like an athletic story. It, I know, I know. I, <laughs> I do them on the radio, and then I write them the next day. It's how I double okay. dip. All right, all right, so I've got my tiers of all-time Canucks captains, and you've covered the team. You're the dean of hockey writers in this in this city, so I figured I'd throw it at you and and let you annotate and or fisk and or disagree my my rankings. Are you ready? All right, lay it on me. All right, tier one. I've got what I'm calling the iconic tier. Okay, and I'm ranking the first ballot Hall of Famer Henrik Sedin number one, and Trevor Linden number two. No problem with that. I I might go Trevor Linden one. But the success that the organization had with Henrik Sedin as the captain and as, as the leader of an incredibly talented group of players is hard to argue. Uh, it, it was the best era in Canucks history. I'd go along with that. Maybe we can go 1A, 1B, since we're both in a conciliatory mood. Um, okay. All-time great captain tier. Okay, And I've got three Marcus Nasland, four Stan Smeal, and five Orland Kurtenbach in that tier. Uh, yeah, no arguments there. All right. I mean, I, I wish I had more to offer. That's when, okay. When you get before Lennon, so Stan Smeal, I was just watching the team, and Curtin back, I was a very little kid mm. watching the team. But uh, it always seemed to be a guy who, who led with his heart 
and was was willing to bleed Canuck colors. And in in those early days, at, at times it seemed like there was a lack of guys willing to actually bleed colors. So <laughs> I think those guys were all good captains. Yes. Yeah, and, and people forget team was five hundred in its first twenty games in its inaugural season before Kurtenbach got hurt. And then they and then they you know made like an expansion team the rest of the way. He got MVP votes that first season. All right. Oh, I did not know that. Solid. This is my solid captain tier. I've got six Don Lever, seven Roberto Luongo. I'm throwing Bo Horvat in at eight, and then I'm putting Kevin McCarthy in at nine. Yeah, McCar- I mean, some now I I really don't know, but uh, <laughs> Horvat I would suggest. Could be higher, would be higher on my list mm. simply because of the era that in which he was the captain. Like right. you get bonus, you get bonus points when it's mm. that bad, but you're able to handle yourself with, with class, yeah. the dignity and grace that, that Horvat did. And at the same time, speak to all the issues that, that were going on. Like did Bo Horvat ever really duck a question? No. Or a topic, I would have I would have Horvat a little higher. Uh, you know what? Uh, you've convinced me. Horvat's going in six ahead of Luongo, and I'll and I'll and I'll flip him and Don Lever. Um, but yeah, I mean, we did the retrospective, the Horvat addresses thorny issues retrospective before you came on, and it, you know, you think about like Don Cherry's commentary, right? <laughs> like he addressed yeah. that. Uh, then all the pandemic stuff. He was on the dais in the bubble when they postponed games. Like it's just wild to think of all the situations he found himself in in his short captaincy. Then okay, anyway, I've got the yeah. best of the triumvirate tier, Doug Lidster at number ten. I'm gonna yada yada. I thought you were gonna stop there. You're, no, 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 you're going. All right. Oh no, no, okay. I'm gonna yada yada these. And then I've got okay. the short term dark years captains tier, and I've got okay. the eleven A and eleven B, uh, Andre Budrius and Chris Odlifson. Then I've got okay. the Dan Quinn tier, which has just Dan Quinn, and then <laughs> and then I've got the true villains tier, which is just Mark Messier. Yeah, well, well, it's Messier is radioactive. Like I've, <laughs> I, I don't know of any other player who's ever come through the organization who has generated the kind of animosity <laughs> that Messier yep. has. No, I'm just being honest with you, and a little bit of it perplexes me. Just the level of it, and and listen, I don't need Canucks Twitter all over me. I'm not I'm not advocating for Mark Messier to be anywhere else on the list. But I will say that Marcus Nasland, who you had yep. as one of your premier, he, he vouches for him, vouches for Messier. Yep. And I remember having a conversation with Marcus about Messier, and he and keep in mind those years how bad they were for the team. All the tur- you talk about turmoil. The only thing that rivaled last season was the first Messier year <laughs> when Keenan came in. Um, but Marcus Naslin says he learned an awful lot from Mark Messier. So, and and I really like Marcus, and I thought it, like you, I thought he was a really good captain. So, that's all I'm saying about that. But uh, yeah, I I don't really as, as I said before, some of the early ones. I really don't know. I, yeah. I seem to recall that the, the tri-captaincy was probably because Pat Quinn didn't want to name Trevor Linden full-time captain at such a young age. And so they had sort of a respected veteran plus another guy they were trying to get to play better as, <laughs> as, alternate, as alternate captains. Lidster was a respected veteran, yeah, by the way. Yeah, yes. no, um, we understand. So, yeah, I think I, I think it's a I think it's a good list. 
it, it would get a lot of talking points. Yeah. Well, let's a lot uh, of feedback. Let's make sure to clip. By the way, uh, Ian McIntyre defends Mark Messier. We'll make sure that goes out on socials. Hey, thanks for joining oh, us, yeah. my friend. Appreciate this, it. This is great, iMac. Really appreciate. It. Thanks for playing ball with us. Yeah, nice to be on with you guys. Happy to do it again sometime. Absolutely, we love that. That is uh, Ian McIntyre, the triple threat, and as you said, the uh, the dean. There is no one better to go to for the historical perspective on all things Canucks and the Canucks captaincy in this uh, in this case in I, particular. I thought I'd upset him more though when I put Henrik above Trevor Linden. I'm going to throw that at Don Taylor. I'll upset Don Taylor with it at some <laughs> point when we do the crossover. The tra- this is the peek behind the curtain of Drance's process. Like, who can I annoy with this take? <laughs> Just keep having guests on until I find somebody that I really tick off with this take. Uh, by uh, the way, that uh, that insider, Ian McIntyre, was brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the work site. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. Uh, final hour of the show coming up. We will be back. It is Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. First show of the, it's not really the new hockey season just yet, but uh, we are coming up very, very quickly on that. First show of the new hockey season, I'll call it, and uh, milestone here. First time Drance is late coming back uh, from a break. First, but not the last. He's already checked that off of his list. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line and obviously the bulk of our first hour uh taken up reacting to the announcement the news today that Quinn Hughes is officially the newest Canucks captain the 15th in franchise history that made official by the Canucks earlier today uh Quinn Hughes Patrick Ovi and Rick Tockett all spoke on the announcement earlier today and I can now tell you that Quinn Hughes, the new captain of the team, will be on Canuck Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah at 3.05 today right here on Sportsnet 650. So uh, already embracing the the duties of, of leadership, having to talk to those guys. Good luck to him. Yes. yes. <laughs> He's regretting the decision already. Uh, but make sure you tune in for that. Yeah, at, come, uh, come see what Quinn Hughes has to say. Very, very good. On Canucks Central. At uh, yes, <laughs> sure. Uh, at at three oh five again here on Sportsnet six fifty with uh, Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah, who are also making their uh, return to Canuck Central. So wow, it's a big day! It is big a big day, day here at the station. Now, <laughs> a much bigger day at the station than for the Canucks. <laughs> no, obviously <laughs> a much bigger day for the Canucks. Yes. Um, can we do something very classic? Us, sure. Because, you know, we, we haven't been together in a while. I mean, it's true. We hung out on Friday, but like we haven't been together in a while. We haven't to done do the show. show together in a while. Yeah. Yeah. And I figured, you know, one thing that really annoyed me. Okay. A couple of years ago. that Still sticks in my craw. Was when the Canucks got off to that brutal start in 2021-22. Mm-hmm. And 
everyone cast it like this. It was this massive surprise, and I kept pointing out they've been underdogs on the money line. You know, in a lot seventy percent of their yeah. games, like. You know, if you went just by the money line, Vegas expected them to have like one additional win at the time or like one or two additional wins at the time that Travis Green was fired versus the public's expectations where everyone was losing their minds about the club's underperformance. And ever since I've tried to be really disciplined, I don't know if you guys know this, about referencing the betting markets mm-hmm. and referencing what Vegas is saying about where the Canucks are at. And I, I figured, what if we went through... And just like did a quick over unders or like or like overvalued undervalued based on where the Canucks rank going into this season mm-hmm. in terms of how they're priced out in in various ways by Vegas. What do you think? Sure. Are you are you into sure? It? So we're talking like season point totals, things like that. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Okay. So like for example, team to record a hundred plus regular season points, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the Vancouver Canucks are priced out at plus 450 so that's pretty wide 20 percent chance around there um i think it's lower than 20 percent at plus 450 okay um but the uh, I'll, I'll i'll check you've you've now got me curious but i, but I think the <laughs> uh, i think the implied odds are, are slightly less than 20 percent on that uh implied odds 18 percent 18 percent uh, so 18% to finish with 500 points. Now, here's where it sort of gets interesting. Nashville is at 550, plus 550. Mm-hmm. St. Louis is at plus 550. So Vegas is telling us that they think the Canucks have a higher ceiling than the Blues and the Predators. However, the Winnipeg Jets are priced out at plus 225, and the Kraken are priced out at plus 150, as are the Calgary Flames. So relative to their Western Conference rivals Mm -hmm. you know like realistically if the Canucks are making the playoffs you need to finish ahead of Nashville St. Louis Calgary and Seattle for sure they're sort of middle of the pack in Vegas's estimation fair undervalued how do you see it I think that's fair the the line that probably sticks out the most to me is the Seattle plus 150 that's like one I would be potentially fading but that's the one Mm. that kind of jumped out to me as ooh, I'm not sure why I I like that or a seems a little bit off to me, but I think that's fair. Now you caught my attention. You said they, that uh, Vegas sees them as having a higher ceiling than Nashville or St. Louis. But what does Vegas have to say about the potential floor for the Vancouver Canucks, right? Because they're, they're more likely in Vegas's eyes to go for off for a hundred points, but that's just one metric, one price point that we're talking about. So, here. so if we go to how Vegas, and this is like a, a sort of a accumulated Vegas average, mm. um, but obviously I encourage you to go check out play now. Uh, the, if you go look at playoff odds, okay, the Canucks are plus 130 to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, better, like slightly more favorable to the better <laughs> odds than even money. And uh, minus 160 to miss the playoffs. So, that implied odds is like 43%, like a 43% chance of making the playoffs. So under 50, but only by a bit, right? In and around the range where they could make the playoffs. The Kraken, or sorry, the Kraken are actually minus 125, so they're over 50% Mm -hmm, to make mm -hmm. the playoffs. And the Nashville Predators are at plus 145, where the St. Louis Blues are plus 150. So... Frankly, Vegas sort of sees Vancouver as just being better 
slightly than Nashville and St. Louis, but but pretty modest. Like there's not a huge difference in the implied probability. In every case, we're talking about 40 to 43% implied probability of making the playoffs for all three teams with Winnipeg, Calgary, and Seattle standing out as teams more likely to make the playoffs in Vegas's estimation, at least as it's reflected in the pricing at the moment, to make the playoffs. Yeah, the two, the big teams that stand out to me, because I don't think there's any question they're going to have to beat Nashville and St. Louis. The ones in the division that stand out to me are Seattle and Calgary. And I would say especially Seattle. And I know everything went wrong for Calgary last year and so much went right for Seattle. It would not shock me at all if Calgary finishes ahead of the Kraken in the standings this year. Would not shock me at all. And that the Canucks might be targeting the Kraken for that fifth spot in the Pacific Division. And, you know, maybe that's the second wildcard spot in the conference. I guess Winnipeg would be the Central Division team that you throw in there. But that feels right to me, right? Where that there, it's appropriate to have them ahead of Nashville and St. Louis and then the rest of the also rans in the Western Conference and then the teams they're chasing the teams that are going to be in their sights are going to be Calgary and Seattle and if you want to throw Winnipeg in there I'd probably have Winnipeg pretty close to right in that same footing in that same tier as the Canucks but that feels I don't think there's a lot to dispute in that characterization like I don't know if you how many people even if you're really optimistic about the Canucks this year are going to look at it and say Oh, no, they're, they're no concern about Calgary and Seattle. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, those are the teams they're going to have to beat. Yeah, but I mean, I think Canucks fans think that Calgary is fading rapidly, that they're worse than they were last season. And and I think there's there should be some softness. Like, if you're going to knock out a team, it's got to be Seattle. That's that's the team that I would target. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it has to be. Yeah. So... Well, and and I'll I'll get back. Let's bookmark that because I want to get back to the Kraken when I when I do when I when we talk about something else. But okay, eighty eight point five is their points over under. Mm-hmm. Okay, and for reference, Nashville's at eighty seven point five, St. Louis eighty seven point five, Kraken ninety four point five, Calgary comes in at ninety four point five as well, and the Winnipeg Jets come in at ninety one point five. In fact. By points over unders within the Pacific Division, the Canucks are priced out to be sixth, Six. and, and it's plus one hundred on the over, which suggests there's already been more action on the under side of the bet. So that's where the fade really becomes pretty clear. I mean, the you you will get better odds, more favorable odds, no vig betting the Canucks to finish over 88.5 than finish under 88.5. I think that's a notable one in that it tells us, especially because the Canucks are something of a public team, like with Mm -hmm. a relatively engaged fan base, people like to have Canucks action because they like the team. Mm -hmm. Um, That to me is where the fade is most pronounced. Yeah. And I think it gets to, I mean, we were just discussing this with IMAC, right? Like even if you can look at all of the moves they've made and the players they have here, I think it would be really hard not to go into this season with a lingering sense of doubt about this team, right? And to try, if you, especially if you're running a financial operation and you're, you know, you're making these lines to not, in some ways, price in the. Well, what if it just looks the same? What <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like, what what if it hasn't all changed and the vibes aren't completely different and the, all of these same issues are here? I, that's really really tough to just completely blot that out of your evaluation of this team. Vegas wants to let you be Charlie Brown trying to kick the football. <laughs> they will not be Charlie Brown trying to kick the football a, as per usual. I, now I brought this up and I wanted to end on points over unders because I want to discuss 
one of my favorite topics. I really want to hit, hit all my favorites while we're while we're here yeah. today okay. on our debut program. Yes. So I want to talk a little bit about the idea of where a team is and what a team is being distinct from the outcome oh, man. that I, they hit that season. I really thought you were going to say bell curves. When which, you said, okay, <laughs> I really want to talk about which bell is curves. A, which is a subject that I like to express with bell curves. <laughs> you got there. You got there. So, so, and you brought up Seattle, and I think Seattle is a really interesting one, right? Because they had this one season from hell, right? They come mm-hmm. out, and a lot of the models think, hey, you know, this team should be pretty good. This, this team should be decent. Can't get a goal. Can't, can't get save a, save. a goal. Um, can't get their players together because of the pandemic. Not a ton of fun in around that team, right? I mean, a pretty serious coaching staff. And it goes terribly. They're like in the high 60s. They're out of the playoffs by American Thanksgiving. Sound familiar, right? I mean, it was just a nightmare season. Inaugural year for the Seattle Kraken. And the next year they come in and everything goes their way. It's a snow day, right? I mean, they win 10 in a row in November. It culminates with, like, Matty Beneers scoring this iconic goal to win in overtime at home against Ovechkin, right? They have this highlight clip, 10 wins in a row to package, and it's, you know, Beneers skates by Ovechkin. I mean, you could not script it better for the expansion team. And then they make the playoffs, and then they knock off the defending Stanley Cup champions. And you go look at how they did it, and it's like, oh, they led the league in shooting percentage at five on five. Mm-hmm. And Jared McCann was a 40-goal scorer. And, you know, this defensive group played way above their heads. I mean, way better on the ice than they looked on paper. And you sort of wonder, what if the truth of the Kraken is that they were a fine team that was desperately unlucky in year one and a fine team that was in, that was wildly fortunate in year two And that, in fact, their true talent level, like, what if they're a team where the fat part of the bell curve just hasn't been hit? (laughs) They've been either on the far left or the far right in their first two seasons. And, in fact, their true talent level, even if they're priced out at 94.5, is far closer to, like, 90 points. That's why the the numbers on them cresting 100 points again stood out to me because right. I think what you're describing is probably pretty correct. They have a they have a lot more room to come back to earth this year than they do to improve and take right. steps forward. Right, especially with the moves that they've made. I mean, Kraken fans will push back against the idea that like Daniel Sprong and um, Geeky and Carson Soucy were like huge parts of what that team did well, but when you replace them with Kyler Yamamoto, you're smaller up front. Mm-hmm. When you replace Susie with Brian Dumoulin on the back end, like that's a pretty significant downgrade. Like you really do need, if you're the Kraken, guys like Cole Lind, you know, Ty Cartier, Riker Evans, like the guys who powered the Coachella Firebirds to the final to sort of hit and play meaningful roles for your team. And counting on the development of young guys is always uh, something that makes me a little suspect, right? It's something I look at and say, hey, you know, if that works, that would be great for you. Yeah. But now now with the Canucks, what I, one thing I sort of want to bring this back to is I like betting the over on 88.5. Not because I'm certain that they'll hit it, not because it's like free money or anything like that, but because I think the Canucks true talent level is way closer to 90 points. Mm-hmm. And by the way, we've been doing this show how many years now? I think it's been there for a few years. Like, I think coming into that 
2021 season, their true talent level was in and around 90 points. They were just poorly constructed. I think the next year, their true talent level was in and around 90 points. It's just that, you know, Curtis Lazar didn't help as much as we'd hoped on the power play, the power, uh, the penalty kill, the penalty kill. uh, Oh my goodness. The penalty kill issues persisted. No wonder I flubbed that. The, you know, inability to move the puck remained catastrophic and and the lack of size up front gave them very little wiggle room uh, to create unless they were generating it themselves off the forecheck. Um, I know that people are excited about the additions that the Canucks made, but by the time you subtract Ekman Larson and uh, Ethan Bear, right, and uh, Bo Horvat from this roster and plug in... Heronic, Beauvillier, Suter, um, Susie, Cole, Susie, Cole, Bluger. Like, I don't know that you've significantly moved your bell curve to the right. You know what I mean? Like, I still think this is probably a 90, 91 point true talent team with about as much chance of cresting, hitting the far right side. It all comes together. The vibes are good. Yep. And you're a 98 to 102 point team as they are to be an 83 to 85 point team that struggles again. I think the bet is that maybe the true talent level isn't higher, but what did you talk about the last couple of seasons that sank them? It wasn't necessarily talent. It was construction and roles, right? Like that's the bet, isn't it? With the additions that they made that you're not going to have the bottom completely fall out because you have one of the worst penalty kills in, in NHL history. But I don't like that bet. Like that's not a bet that I'd be keen on. I'm keen on the fact that I think if their over under is set below a level where I think their true talent is, then I Just think that makes sense. Then yeah. I, that makes sense. The the construction thing for me, that's actually where the jury is most still out. Like that's where I actually remain most concerned about this team in the wake of a series of off season moves, most of which I liked. Um, you know, I like Pia Suter a lot, right? But when he signed, and I was like, wow, that's a good signing for the Canucks. You know, um, I think it was Tanbeer, someone with bad takes was like, well, this guy also liked Jason Dickinson. And it's like, you know what? I did. You know mm-hmm. who else I liked? Curtis Lazar. Curtis Lazar. And, and you know who I'm pretty confident are going to be good players for their respective teams next year? Jason Dickinson and Curtis Lazar. You know, like, if Jason Dickinson gets sold at the deadline and ends up killing key penalties late in the season for, for mm-hmm. some, like, it, late into the playoffs for some team, I'm going to be 0% surprised. But the Canucks have been, you know, like, I can't get excited about Teddy Bluger because the Canucks have plugged in these guys year after year without any of them hitting, which to me begins to suggest that, like, it might be something of an infrastructure problem, right? Like, I loved the Johansson pickup for Colorado. But it's an awful lot different for Johansson to go into Colorado where you've got, like, Taves and and um, Bowen Byram and Kale McCarr yeah. pu- and, and Gerard pushing the pace and, and you know, you can alive, arrive late with a ton of space because your defenders have opened up all the space for you. Then if he'd been traded for Vancouver, a team that struggles to break out the puck and also arguably got slower on the back end this season, this offseason with their moves, right? I mean, you lose Bear and you plug in Susie and... and Cole, even with Philip Peronic, like I don't know that you're significantly better at moving the puck. Certainly, I don't think you are unless you have Hirose or Wolanin in the lineup instead of a, a Juleson or Brisebois mm-hmm. type. And up front, I mean, I still see a group that's 
small and light on two-way IQ. Like, I don't know that we're looking at a fundamentally reconstructed team in terms of addressing the biggest issues that have plagued them, moving the puck from the back end and winning battles and sustaining pressure in the offensive. Well, and the concern I have with the penalty kill specifically, because I think basically everyone they signed, you could see playing a key role on the penalty sure. kill, right? You you mentioned Dickinson and Lazar, and I do wonder, you know, how much of successful penalty killing comes down to a certain amount of continuity, right, where you almost need to – they're going to be asking a lot of guys who have never played together, let alone on the penalty kill, to step in and be at least a decent penalty killing unit right out of the gate, right out of the gate with two games against Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, (laughs) one of the best power plays in history, right? Oh, no, the best power play in history. I don't think you have to put the one-up qualifier. Yeah, like I don't think there's any question that – Teddy Bluger and Ian Cole and Pew Suter and Carson Susie are good NHL penalty killers. Like, yeah. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Zero. It's just they've never done it together. They're coming to a new team. They're going through all of that, and they have to hit the ground running. That's my concern. I think, you know, you bring it back to Lazar and Dickinson. I don't think there's any question that they're good penalty killers at the NHL level, but it didn't move the needle here. Now, maybe making more wholesale changes, and it's not just dropping one of the guy in, like Lazar and Dickinson will help, but that would be my big concern is that, there's no continuity coming into this unit, really. It's it's a bunch of new guys who are just getting to know each other, and can they find a way to quickly gel as a unit against some very difficult competition? It's a really interesting point, and you know, for, for me too, it's just can this team move the puck well enough has been the biggest question that I have going into every Canucks season that I've covered dating back to my first year back in town. Mm. And honestly, with the way that they got played, with the way that Vegas and St. Louis game planned them in the 2020 uh, bubble, like, honestly, their opponents didn't think so, right? Uh, they had success in spite of that, but, like, th- those teams were sending two. Those sent- teams were sending the house on the forecheck. They believed that they could cut the Canucks attack off at the stem, and the blue line hasn't gotten better. In fact, it's probably gotten worse in terms of moving the puck since. You know, I, I sort of look at that and just think, this has been this team's existential problem, and while I like and rate Susie and Cole for their contributions and think Heronic will help to some extent. Whether this team has enough puck moving on the back end remains a big question mark for me. Uh, Gavin from Victoria texts in, Drancers back on the air talking betting odds and bell curves. Nature is healing. <laughs> one, <laughs> one final segment Play today. the hits. I want to, uh, I want to talk about uh, the big picture stakes of this season Ooh. a little bit, which I think are fascinating, as they always can are. Can I say the word high Canucks. leverage five yeah, times? Absolutely, yes. you can. Absolutely. I believe in you. Uh, final segment coming up here on Canucks Talk. Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. It is Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance here live from the Kintec studio. 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Live from the Jazz Bar. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're riffing. I do think now I will say I... Uh, do you like jazz? Uh, I do like jazz, actually. Oh, really? I, w- I wouldn't call myself like an aficionado yeah, or, or something but, ridiculous. Uh, I'll put on jazz from every now and then for sure. Formless noodling. Okay. Can't stand You're, you're one to speak. <laughs> oh, your, your problem is they don't have enough restraint. They're a little too self-indulgent. That's your big issue. Uh, anyways. Um, point taken. <laughs> uh, I do. I, I enjoyed our new intro music. 
I I think we have to find some original rejoiner music for our show now because these are not not, not it's coming. It's okay, coming. okay, I'm just saying. Not that there's anything wrong with those ones, but I know they are used on other shows on the station. There's a refresh. Coming. We got to have the distinct sound, is what I'm saying. I I know you. I trust you, Dom. I know you're on top of it. Um, so. It's our first show back here in September. We haven't been on the air. I believe our last show was July 7th. And not a ton has happened in terms of player personnel movements since then. Obviously, the Pew Suter signing late in the summer was uh, was notable. And we've all had a chance to weigh in on that. But, of course, the, the biggest news that happened while we were off the air, Drancer, was the Elias Pettersson interview with Elliot Friedman in Sweden. The news that he's you know going to wait until after the season to really talk, think about a contract extension obviously he was eligible uh, as of july 1st this summer to sign a long-term extension with the canucks and you know look we ended the show in july saying this is the storyline to watch going into the summer what happens with it and it is that's still the case as we enter this season you know i mentioned the stakes before we went to break well so sorry i just want to unpack this a little yeah yeah because yeah. i think it's a really fascinating discussion to dwell on just slightly before we get into the stakes, because I still see a distinct difference between Pedersen's wait and see and like Mikhail Backlund and Elias Lindholm's like far more pointed commentary in Calgary. You know, I don't think what Pedersen said was anything close, not even in the same territory as what you'd call like a worst case scenario outcome. Now, mm-hmm. the best case scenario outcome was Canucks find way to do deal with Elias Pettersson this summer. No question. No question. And this also isn't in the same zone as that. But for me, it was more of a neutral outcome than a bad one from the Canucks perspective. It's a punt. It's not a turnover on downs. Like it's a it's it's just sort of kicks the ball into the future. And and I do think that's just we haven't had a chance to speak about it yet on on the air. I think that's just worth like delineating. Because I do feel like some of the reaction to it was a little bit like hype. There was some hyperventilating about it that I don't think was necessarily called for in full. So I think that's fair. It's obviously not the worst case scenario. Right? Worst case scenario is he says, I'm gone. That <laughs> We all understand oh, I'm that. Ne- I'm never yes, going to negotiate not happening, an extension. So start yeah. planning for that right to, now. To, tries to do the thing that I was talking about, which was the... Could you accelerate the Dubois Kachuk timeline? Yeah, exactly. That's and by the, worst the way, case scenario. I still think you could if you wanted to as a player. But PD didn't want I to. I think you could. I think it would be very. Somebody has to be the first one. Once somebody's the first one, then it becomes easier for other players to follow in that path. For sure. Right? Anyways, but it wasn't that. It definitely wasn't the worst case scenario. The way I've been thinking about it is. You know, I've seen people, you know, obviously there's the instant reaction like, oh, my goodness, he's gone. He's already getting, you know, he's already setting up to get out of town. I think that is way that's an overreaction. That is an emotional overreaction. But Elias Pettersson is so important to the franchise that even if you think like, I don't know, if you told me there's still an 85 percent chance that he signs a contract extension with the Canucks, like, does that sound right to you? 80, 85, something like that. Is that too high, too low? I think that's too high. Okay, it's like 75. I mean, yeah, like I would say more likely than not, but but, but I don't point, have enough. I don't have enough. Like I'd need to have real grounds for confidence. But my point is to go to seventy five. My point is, even if you thought it was seventy five, which is very high, that's still a twenty five percent chance of losing your franchise center, right? So like, even if you think, oh, it only lowers the odds a little bit, 
that's still a huge deal. Like it's the, a huge so deal for it to get to a 25% chance of it going wrong is a massive, massive deal. Even a 20% chance or a 15% chance, right? So it can be not close to the worst case scenario and still better than, uh, uh, you know, better than even chance that he stays in Vancouver and still be worth a serious amount of consternation because he is that important to the franchise. What do I like to say about bridge contracts, Jamie? Mm-hmm. They have to lead somewhere. Yeah, that's the point of a bridge. <laughs> but I will say, I mean, I think I'm actually a little more pessimistic on this than you because mm. you're right. He didn't, you know, he wasn't buying a ticket out of town with his commentary. He's just no. like, hey, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait, see how the season goes. But he was leaving the door open for sure. And I thought it was really striking a couple of weeks ago, Rick Tockett gave an interview with uh, with who we just spoke to uh, not that long ago, Ian McIntyre at Sportsnet.ca, and you know IMac asked him about the comments from Elias Pettersson, and Rick Tockett was he didn't dispute the idea at no. all that they were playing at least in part to convince Elias Pettersson to stay, like not even a little bit. And in fact, what he said was, "Yeah, we have to prove it to him every day. We have to be a really well run organization, and if we do that, then he'll stay." But that's accepting the logic of the stakes of this season being will Elias Pettersson stay or not. I thought that was very, very striking. It, it was very, very striking. I also think you get into really dangerous territory. You know, I, and I, I mean, I was saying this down the stretch last season when the Canucks would make moves that I was critical of and people would, you know, respond with like, well, Pettersson, you need to sign them so Pettersson stays. And it's like, well, good, a, lot of, a lot of good that did since he declined to sign an extension this summer, by the way. Everyone who made those arguments in our inbox, feel free to send in your apologies whenever. But you really, I think, get into dangerous territory if you are viewing the priorities of your organization through the lens of how one person, mm -hmm. one player in particular will react to them. Like you have to be doing the right things. The right thing done for the wrong reason is still more often than not the wrong thing. And I, I do think that you get into really dangerous territory given the complexity of managing a team uh, in, in a league, a hard capped league like this. I, I really think if you take your eye off the ball and, and are focusing on, you know, not a little thing because a franchise center is absolutely worth a rolling the red carpet out to keep. But I, I do think if you get off the collective goal of, of how to win, uh, you, you can get into trouble really fast. I think there's a fine line between recognizing the importance of your franchise players and treating them differently where it's appropriate to and bending over backwards yep. and getting distracted. And I will say, you know, talk its answer, which is, yeah, we have to be, be a well-run organization. Like that's job one. That's obviously should be your goal independent of, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. that, that, do that anyway. Exactly. Right. You should be trying to do that anyways. And obviously they would be trying to do that anyways. So it's, uh, you know, I don't have a problem with that. It's not as if he's saying, oh, we're going to go out here and do things differently than we would otherwise. But it's recognizing that, yeah, it does have extra stakes this year because of Pedersen. So do you see the stakes of the season through the lens of Pedersen exclusively? Not exclusively, but I like the way I've been thinking about it is normally, let's say Pedersen had a contract, right? Or even the last couple of years, how we've been talking about it. We tend to view, when we have this kind of big picture before the season conversation, it's often from the perspective of management, right? Like what will management see from this team? Will they decide to change course? What what will they do yeah. in reaction to how the what team... What management sees is in the backseat. Or... It's from a level above that, which is what sure. will ownership think, yes. right? What will ownership think about how management performs? Which also is in the backseat. Th those things aren't, it's not that they're out of the picture, but they're superseded by Pedersen. They are. Like, the ball is in his court. 
in a big way. The most important question is not what Patrick Alvin or Jim Rutherford. It's not what the owner thinks. The most important question for this year is what does Elias Pettersson think? Uh, Honestly, I think right off the bat, then you are starting from the back foot in terms of trying to be a well-run organization. If that's your dynamic, I think you're in a lot of trouble. And, and here's what I'd liken it to. Um, you know, this, this probably is not something I should say on radio, but I'm going to do it anyway and, and hope that I can thread the needle. Um, you know, did you ever have the experience in your early 20s when you were a single guy and you'd talk to somebody who you wanted to pick up and you'd be like, hi, I'm so lonely. Me? And Me it never, never. And it never worked out for you. <laughs> and n- then no idea what you're talking and about. Then, and then immediately, like when I met my wife, um, immediately, like I'd go to the bar or whatever and people would be like, hi. And I'd be like, hey, <laughs> I'm super confident and happy. And all of a sudden, you know, people would be touching my arm and stuff. And I'd be like, oh, no, sorry. I have a girlfriend. Do you ever have this experience? What you're saying is des- <laughs> desperation. Do you really feel the need to translate for me? Desperation here? is not uh, is not an attractive quality. Desperation never confidence. works. Quiet confidence. Quiet confidence yes. is the most appealing thing you can have. Like if you are genuinely out there being like, "Petey, please stay. We need a franchise center." You know, that's not how you. That's not how you get them to go home with you. I agree with that. At the same time. The position they're Did I in, pull that off, by yeah, the way? Absolutely. Okay, sweet. No problem. Uh the position <laughs> they're in. <laughs> the position they're in, it's kind of inescapable at this point, right? Like you're in this position. And so how do you conduct yourself? And I think that's what that's you know, Rick Talkett talked about it. I think he hit the nail on the head is take care of your business. Yeah. Right? Take care of your business, and that's all you can do. Let the chips fall where they will, but really that's what you have to do. I will say this. I don't think Rick Talkett's ever been like, hi, to anybody in his life, right? No, he's <laughs> he's been guy. just fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, you know, this reminded me of, I think I think we might have talked to uh, you on Halford and Bruff once about this, but I believe you wrote a piece in the summer about, like, the different measures of success for the Canucks organization right. this year. Yeah, my expectations. And I do think, you know, after the Pedersen announcement, Part of the reaction was this, or not announcement, but interview. There was this binary thinking of, you know, oh, if they make the playoffs, he'll stay. And if they miss, he'll go. And I think it's a lot more complex than that. I don't think it's anywhere near that simple. And that's why Talkett, the first thing he said wasn't, yeah, we have to make the playoffs. It was the process has to be right. We have to be a well-run organization. Well, and I'm glad you brought that up because that expectations piece took me like a month of thinking and it was sort of my return. And I was trying to like get... Um, back into the mode where I'm thinking critically about the team after a, a you know a month of like seawall walks with my dog and hanging out on the beach all the time, and you know to bring it back to the bell curves conversation from the last segment, uh-huh. right? The most evergreen topic around this team, and the thing that gets radio listeners fired up the most is: Will they make the playoffs? Won't they make the playoffs? Why don't you think they'll make the playoffs? I think they'll make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You're wrong about this, this, and this, which is why they'll make the playoffs, right? Like, it's uh, we're like playoff seagulls in terms of how we discuss playoffs, playoffs in t- terms of how we discuss this team. But for me, and what I was trying to accomplish with this piece, and how I think this fits in with the Pedersen conversation too, is my deep skepticism about this team going into this season is actually not based on whether or not they can make the playoffs or not. Like, I think Vegas pricing them out at 43% to make the playoffs is about fair. I think their true talent level is somewhere in the low 90s, right? Like, I this is a team that I expect to be at least close to a playoff spot, and they don't need a lot to go their way mm. for them to be well within a playoff spot, 
right? Now, I think things could go against them too, but certainly, certainly there's a world where they make the playoffs. I'll, I'll, I'll sort of make a call closer to the season once I see how training camp unfolds, but to me, that's that conversation that so dominates how we discuss this team as a binary. Like, making the playoffs this year, to me, is not success, Right? What I need to see, because my overall arching criticism of this overall team and the build and some of the moves the new management have made, is not that they are building a team that will never make the playoffs. It's that they're building a team that I don't see a path to them being great, to them being in that Carolina Hurricanes, New Jersey Devils, Colorado Avalanche, Florida Panthers tier of a team that has a real chance of winning, has a chance of being special, has a chance of having like a four or five or six or seven year run where maybe things break right for you in the playoffs and, and you get a shot to actually win the cup. Like that, that to me is where my criticism of the Heronic deal, my criticism of, you know, how they've used cap space, my criticism of them not swinging for upside in, in draft picks sort of all comes together is my fear is not that this team can't make the playoffs this year. I think they absolutely can my fear is that there's no path, given the way that they've committed money, the draft picks they've traded away, the lack of high-value futures in the organization. Um, I, don't, I don't know that there's a path here to get this team from good to great, right? And, and frankly, getting to good would be a nice start, right? But, but not a good enough one on its own. And, and fundamentally, I suspect that someone as hockey smart as Elias Pettersson, and I've very rarely watched a player who's more mm-hmm. hockey smart than Elias Pettersson. Like, Elias Pettersson knows where everyone is on the ice at all times. He follows the puck faster than everyone else. Like, he's not the fastest skater, but he often looks like the fastest skater because he knows where it's going. Like, he's got that, you know, I, I don't want to compare him to Wayne Gretzky, but like the, the uh, you know, go where the puck yeah, is the going anti- to be. The anticipation. It's it's uncanny. He's next level. Like watch in game this season when a puck gets like deflected up in the air. He's almost always the first guy to it. There's like five or six guys in the league who have that quality. He does. He's as hockey smart as they get. You know, if this team doesn't dramatically improve their form, but Thatcher Demko stands on his head for six months and they make the playoffs and then get walloped in five. Like you think that's a deal breaker? Well, I was just going to say to bring it back to Pedersen, right? It's not binary. I can easily imagine a scenario where they make the playoffs and he is not impressed with how the season unfolds and that factors into his plans. And I can easily imagine a scenario where they miss the playoffs, but enough other things go right and he is impressed by it being a well-run organization and he likes playing with Rick Tockett and he likes having Quinn Hughes as captain and all these other things go right that he says, you know what? We came up just short, but I want to be here. I want to be part of making sure we don't come up next short. Like that's very, there's a lot of room. It's not as simple as, you know, make the playoffs. He stays, miss the playoffs. He goes, there's a lot of room on, on the other side of, of both of those equations where the process will be more important than the result. I think when I think that's where the well-run organization thing comes in, right? Like you can't, you, you have to have this environment where, you know, for example, they're going to have probably three new top four defensemen, right? Mm-hmm. And that needs to work in that when Pedersen and Hughes are sitting on the bench, getting their breathers after a shift, the Canucks aren't constantly getting scored on the way they have over the past three, four years, right? Mm-hmm. Like, those guys need to work in terms of doing what Kuzmenko and Dakota Joshua and Neil Zaman did last season, which, you know, 
their contributions were good. Like, all of them had good seasons. Don't get me wrong. But their real importance was as, like, proof of concept of this organization's ability to identify depth players. Like, you need to have another run of success in that. Akito Hirose may end up being part of that equation. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to have... You know, Villander and LaCaramaki and Ratu, like, come along, right? You need to be talking about the Canucks prospect pool a year from now, and at least one of those three guys has popped to the point where it's like, okay, that, you know, meaningfully alters what this club can expect in terms of cost control support in the years ahead. Um, The bets that this club has placed need to play out in a way where, if I go on the radio and say, hey, I don't see a path to this team being great, that's not compelling, right? Or, or you know, like, that's a far, for me, this team doesn't have a path to being great is a far more compelling argument at the moment than this team just needs a couple things to go right and they'll, you know, be on their way. Mm. A linear projection, a linear progression into greatness. Like, I, I just don't see that path at all. I think you need to be able to see that path. And for me, that's way more important than point totals or playoff outcome or or anything else. There needs to be something something real, something tangible to cling to that's hopeful coming out of this season, and that's the result of the work that Rutherford and Alvin did, which comes back to the other thing, stakes of this season-wise, which is, you know, they've made a big bet on this leadership group, mm-hmm. right? This leadership group, which has listed along for the last three seasons in a row, uh, this group that hasn't been able to win together, that's gone through three coaches now, right? That's only intermittently been able to play well. And then when they have played well, it's been when the pressure's off. And even within the, those sort of stretches, like when the pressure's mounted for a game and it's like, oh, they could, uh, they've fallen flat. You know, at, at some point, like if you've made short term moves to boost the chances of this group, like, and it doesn't work, that's on you. Like, I think there are real questions. There are real stakes of this season, too, for the Rutherford-Alvin experiment. Like, this needs to look like it's worked over the next five, six yeah. months. Their approach, like, in the macro sense, not not individual moves, right? There were, like, last season, lots of micro moves worked, right? Kuzmenko was a hit, on and on. And this season, you may see the same. Like, Hironik could play really well. Susie could play really well, on and on. Doesn't matter. Like the macro part of it, the big picture part of it, which is how do you make this team really competitive? How do you make this team a contender? That's been that's been a failure to this point, and that's what needs to change. I think next season, not not just in terms of how we talk about the team, not just in terms of delivering a contending team to Vancouver, but in terms too of how they're regarded in the league by the smartest hockey people you'll ever meet, which is the star players and. Those stakes for management, I think, would exist regardless of Elias Pettersson's contract situation, right? Even if he had signed a big long-term deal this summer, I think that would still be a reality, right? You're still doubling down on this core, but the uncertainty surrounding Pettersson amps up the pressure on the entire organization, right? Top to bottom, and in in particular, uh, in management, given how they have, as you say, doubled down and really bet on this leadership group and this, uh, this core of the team. Ted in Montreal texts in in any other career, nobody would bat an eye at someone saying they need more information before they make a long-term career decision. It's a little silly that people take what he said and turn it into, oh, EP40 desperately wants out. Seems like a crazy jump to me. And yeah, I think a lot of that reaction was just the, uh, again, 
fans being fans, right? I don't say that in a pejorative sense. It's an emotional thing to be a fan. You're going to have emotional in the moment reactions sometime. I mean, like we've talked about it a lot today. Like we talked about it with IMAC when we were going through the Vegas odds, you and me discussing it. And throw Elias Pettersson in here, too, as guys who want to see it in reality before they really believe it, right? Guys who – a lot of people watching this team have been burned by getting their hopes up by this uh, for this team in recent years. And I actually think it's extremely relatable for Elias Pettersson to say, you know what? I'm going to hold off before I make this commitment. I really want to see if it's actually going to work before, you know, I pledge the rest of my prime years. Like, I don't begrudge him for that at all. I think that's an, a completely reasonable decision for him to make in his circumstances i like to leap before i look but i understand taking a different approach hey by the way we have a question in the inbox when will 10 minutes of positivity come back honestly all summer people were asking me this (laughs) the people want to know they want positivity but i don't think we can do it every day well here's what i would say my genuine hope and i'll explain this is that it doesn't come back because the season is going so well right like we added it into the show because it was just another tough season yeah, to cover. Well, it was brutal. Right? Yeah. And it was like, we need to stake out a special moment where we're going to lighten the mood. We're going to have some fun. We're going to focus on the Doing positive Doing it every side. day, though, was way too because, much for me. For you, yes. Because there was so much. By the end, I was just like, the weekend. <laughs> Baguettes. There was so much going negative. So my hope is that we don't need to carve that space out this year. Like, that's my hope. I don't know why I thought of baguettes. Do you baguette, like baguettes? Bag- love a baguette. Yeah, baguettes are good. Some, are much better than jazz? Some, some. I was going to say some jazz and a baguette. Are you kidding me? No, no jazz. Formless noodling. If I'm gonna, if I'm gonna, I'll have a bowl of Dandan, please, with my jazz. Um, what, Dandan noodles? I'm not a, can't say, can't say I'm a, uh, know what those are at all. What are Dandan noodles? Oh, man. You got to go get some. Let's okay. It's a like like a peanut chili noodle dish. It's unbelievable. All right. Yeah. Even though you compared it to jazz, which you don't like. No, I don't like it. But okay. it's it's also formless noodles. All right. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Anyway, I still think we should do it once a week. Okay. Even if things are going well, it's nice to like spend a little bit of time. So I think once a week we should do it, but I can't do it more than that. We'll probably, uh, maybe we'll do it. We'll integrate it on a, a specific day, but we'll probably wait until the season. Oh, yeah. We're, we'll uh, give us some time to get back into the swing of we're things. We're going to formlessly noodle for, for a little bit and then introduce some more <laughs> yes. structure. That is absolutely show. our brand. Uh, by the way, thank you to everyone for tuning in. It's, uh, it's really exciting to be back. We got lots of fun stuff coming up. I mean, yeah, we're so grateful, by the way, to to have a chance oh, yeah. to do this show for a third me? year. You guys are the best. We absolutely love our listeners. We love your feedback. Great commentary today. Keep it coming. Uh, I'll be up in Penticton later this week. So, yep. like, hockey is really coming back now. I was going to say, the list of dates comes fast and furious. Here. Oh, Penticton so on Friday. Training camp later next week. First preseason game less than two weeks away now. I'll, so. be, I'll be in Seattle by the 27th covering another playoff game. And then I'll be on the road. I'll be on the road. So... Uh, we will leave you with some what would you, formless noodling. <laughs> formless, formless noodling. noodling. Make sure you tune in. Uh, Quinn Hughes on Canuck Central with Satin Dan, 305 today. Thanks for listening. We're back tomorrow. It is Sportsnet 650.